Hey Coconuts! Today in TFC Stock Geek Out, we're going to explore a company that even Amazon, okay? Amazon has given up trying to compete. <laughs> Amazon trying to compete with everybody, okay? So if Amazon says that we're no longer going to fight these guys, you know how far they have come. What started as a surfer dupe project trying to sell surfboards has come so far to develop into a whole suite of services and software for e-commerce, right? So... Almost every company out there, you know, I would say a lot of companies, at least the friend, the companies of my friends, they all use this company to build their e-commerce store and all the back-end support is amazing. This company has also went on to develop their own capital ecosystem where they provide capital to its community and also their developer ecosystem where, you know, there's just a lot more features being developed by open source developers so that, you know, it's not just them developing softwares. There are a lot of other these guys that are also developing additional features and softwares on their platform. So very powerful growth engine for features and all that. So I'm, I'm curious, how far can this company go? And joining me today to geek out on this company, which is e-commerce giant Shopify, is Certing, right? So all of you are familiar with him. He's from the good investor in compounderfund.com. Once again, if you want to read his research, just go to compounderfund.com, right? Shopify is a company that constantly pushes its limits and what started as just services and software has come so, so, so far, right? And Certing is has a lot of praise for Toby, which is the founder of the company. And uh, he believes that this guy has great execution, keep pushing boundaries, keep developing new stuff, and founder-led, right? Founder-led is always a very interesting view of companies, right? So I think that is the focus for today, to try to understand what is Shopify's business model, how far have they come? They're no longer just software, and where can they go into the future? So for your reference sake, this episode was recorded on the 26th of August 2021. So in 26th of August 2021. Our discussion today is solely for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not serve as any form of advice or recommendations. Thank you for loving what we do and empowering us financially to do more for you. Join our Telegram group for continued discussion. Let's geek out. Okay, so we back again today. We're sitting in the house. Yo, how have you been? Hey, uh, thanks Reggie for having me again. Uh, doing great. Can't wait to get started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to be doing this quite often. So <laughs> it's going to be a recurring thing, right? Yep, and yep. I mean, in your portfolio, there's so many interesting companies and everybody can actually find all your write-up and your research and all that jazz at compounderfund.com. So you should definitely check it out if you have not. You know, but today we're going to focus on this company called Shopify, right? But why Shopify is a thing? As of the point of recording, which is 26 August, uh, it's actually one of the uh, largest companies in our portfolio. So it's a company that I, that I like a lot. And what I also find Shop, uh, super interesting about Shopify is it's a co-founder and leader, uh, current CEO. His name is, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly because it's a German word, but it's um, Toby Lutke. So uh, I find him to be an incredible entrepreneur. Um, and in fact, I think, uh, in my opinion, one of the best uh, young business leaders in the world today. Yeah, so that's what really fascinates me about Shopify. Mm. Did Shopify become your largest position because of the 10-bagger situation that it had went through? <laughs> uh, no. So, I mean, just, so just to clarify things a little bit, uh, I invested in Shopify with my family's uh, money, I think sometime in 2015 or 2016, and that has done really well. I think it has gone up uh, more than 30 times. Uh, if I compare Shopify's current share price to the time when I first invested in it, uh, but we, or rather my family, uh, actually liquidated most of that portfolio um, in the middle of 2020. 
so that the capital could be used to invest in compounder fund. So um, in the fund itself, the position is definitely not a um, 10 bagger, but it's still a fairly large um, position within the portfolio, somewhere between uh, between 4 to 5%, simply because uh, it's a company that uh, we think has a lot of room to grow. And also partly because its share price has done pretty well since we first invested in it sometime in uh, July 2020. Yeah, and I know Shopify has went through a lot of changes. Right? I mean, when they first started, they were just doing this whole like web commerce kind of platform. Essentially, it's a software, right? That's how, kind of how they started. Over time, they've added a lot of features, drop shipping. They have built up their own supply chain. They have done the whole capital thing that they're doing, right? So providing, there are people that use Shopify with capital, right? So um, can you kind of walk us through what is Shopify at this moment in time? <laughs> because it's so big now. I think, yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. So you're absolutely right that Shopify kind of started like a uh, web commerce kind of um, solution and over time just slowly um, diversified its business but it's still very much focused on enabling businesses to sell online and I think Shopify uh, basically sees itself as the operating system for e-commerce for other businesses to use. So that's I think how the company sees itself. Um, So what is Shopify today? you can kind of split its revenue into basically two sources. Uh, The first would be subscription solutions, and then the other would be um, merchant solutions. So as of uh, 30th of June, 2021, uh, Shopify had trailing revenue of about 3.85 billion US dollars, and 31% of that uh, actually came from subscription solutions. So these are effectively software subscriptions that Shopify sells to merchants, uh, and these merchants use this uh, solution to track inventory, set up an online store, manage the online store, and so on. Prices there range from like $9 per month uh, in US dollars to more than $2,000 per month. So there are a wide variety of subscription solutions that Shopify sells. And so the $9 per month subscription goes for very simple solutions and for very small merchants. And of course, when you talk about like the $2,000 uh, plus solution, that's Shopify Plus. And that applies to like really large organizations. So I think it's also very interesting that Shopify's um, subscription solutions business actually serves businesses of all sizes. So from like the smallest one to two man type of SME, all the way to like the largest uh, uh, multinational conglomerates like say Nestle or Heinz. It's all across the spectrum of uh, corporate sizes. That's what Shopify serves. Uh, And the other part of the business of Shopify would be merchant solutions. So that's uh, where Shopify provides uh, other value-add services for for merchants. So these include things like Shopify Payments, which is a payment processing platform. There's also uh, Shopify Fulfillment Network, which is uh, Shopify's um, logistics services. So it it essentially acts as like an outsourced fulfillment service for merchants. So, you know, if you're selling, say, uh, glasses online, spectacles online and and you like to deliver your product to customers who buy from you you can actually utilize uh, the Shopify fulfillment network to help you to fulfill that order there's also things like Shopify capital which is kind of a financing arm of Shopify so this is where Shopify provides capital to merchants so um, and, and there are quite a number of other services as well that Shopify provides um, and all these services basically help uh, merchants better able to conduct business online. Right. So everything is done with the idea of uh, how can Shopify help uh, merchants better do business online. So when we uh, look at this merchant solutions business, 
Um, so, okay, so, the subscription solutions business is a subscription service. So that's where Shopify charges its merchants monthly. With merchant solutions, uh, Shopify earns revenue from a few different ways, right? So some of the services are charged as a percentage of like the amount of commerce activity that the merchant conducts through the Shopify platform. And some of these are, I think, um, based on uh, different types of fees that Shopify actually charges the merchants. So um, all in all, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Shopify put in about $3.85 billion in revenue in the 12 months ended 30th June uh, 2021. So based on the latest numbers that Shopify has released, uh, the company has about 1.75 million merchants from 175 countries uh, that use its services. Interesting, right? Interesting Shopify managed to scale beyond where they started. Right, so yes. it's um because because there are a lot of tech companies that they you always find a corner, right? Tech companies always do that. Find an underserved population and then you create a solution for this underserved population. Right. And Shopify also started the same way, right? E-commerce, very underserved, they build a solution, but not many people manage to scale beyond to this such a size, right? Beyond their original community and just kind of keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, and their solution has gotten so far that a lot of big boys are using them, right? So that's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I think what's really interesting as well, and that is uh, Shopify actually started off uh, as a business to sell snow, uh, I think it was snowboards online. Um, so that was Toby Lukey and his co-founder. They wanted to sell snowboards online. And they, they, got vibes, that, uh, hey, they got the vibes. Yeah, <laughs> and they, and they, yeah, yeah pre- are pretty cool dude. Yeah. And, and they realized that, hey, you know, there's, it's so difficult to sell a product online. And so they thought, okay, let's just build something so that we can sell our snowboards online. But what they found was that the thing that they built to sell their snowboards online ended up being a much more attractive business than just selling snowboards. And so that was how Shopify uh, basically came about. Yeah, interesting. And you specifically said that people should be very cognizant that Shopify is different from Amazon. Yes. Right, in your, in yes. your thesis. Could you kind of help our listeners understand the fundamental difference? Yeah, sure. So I think the fundamental difference is that Amazon is an e-commerce company. So uh, Amazon has both uh, first-party uh, uh, e-commerce as well as third-party e-commerce. So first-party e-commerce would be where Amazon is the one uh, buying the products and selling it to consumers. And then third-party would be where Amazon acts as a marketplace to connect merchants with consumers. Uh, so Shopify does neither of both. Uh, what Shopify is doing is to provide services and solutions for merchants who want to sell online. So Shopify itself is not really involved with the actual selling process. What it does is to help the merchants better be able to manage their inventory, better be able to uh, target or find their customers, better be able to fulfill uh, the orders that they have received from their customers and, and so on. Yeah, so that is the role that Shopify is playing, which is very different from uh, an actual e-commerce company like uh, Amazon. Yeah, so fundamentally, Shopify is not responsible for traffic in that sense, right? They, they, yes, they are not, they're not responsible for your traffic. They give you all these resources to set up your e-commerce store and then you can right. sell it on your own. In fact, uh, what Shopify really wants to do is to help uh, merchants to uh, build a strong direct relationship with consumers. So actually another kind of difference, uh, which is uh, between like an Amazon and Shopify, this is somewhat uh, meta. Amazon is, can be seen as an aggregator. So what Amazon does is to aggregate consumer demand. And so like say if somebody wants to buy, say toothpaste or toilet paper, um, they will not go to the producers of toothpastes and toilet paper directly. They will go to Amazon and purchase that. So that's how Amazon kind of aggregates that consumer demand. 
But in the case of Shopify, it really wants to help merchants build that kind of very strong direct-to-consumer relationship. Yeah, so that's another, I think, difference. But this difference is um, more about, I think, uh, philosophy, business philosophy. Yeah. Interesting, definitely interesting. So, but I don't think people should set up a toothpaste e-commerce store. Just saying. But <laughs> anyway, hey, you yeah, never, so, you never know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, okay, you never know. Maybe you should set up like super, like like uh, what do you call it? Like made to measure kind of thing, right? Like if you yeah. give me your saliva, compensate whatever, we give you the best. But okay, okay, that story for another day. Well, what what is uh so interesting about Shopify for you as a business, right? No, knowing that this is the the business model, like what are some core ideas around this? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, what is really interesting for me, I think first and foremost would be, I think, the quality of the management team. So as I said earlier, I think Toby Lutke is one of the best young business leaders in the world today. He's still really young. I think he's only in his early 40s so uh, or late 30s. So it's still tremendous, uh, I think, uh, amount of gas left in the tank for him to continue to lead Shopify. So a few things that I saw in Shopify that made me think that he is somebody special so um, when Shopify got listed, I think sometime in 2015 or 2016, um, Toby Lukey wrote a letter to shareholders um, that was published in Shopify's IPO prospectus. And in it, he said a few very unique things right, um, in terms of the business. So one of the very unique things he said was that they have an idea of wanting to um, build value for all the partners that they have, or rather they want to build value for all the constituents that they serve. And so these constituents are not just it's not just like Shopify the business, but uh, Shopify's customers, Shopify's suppliers, uh, the, the environment at large, and also, of course, the partners that are building businesses on top of Shopify. So what Shopify has is uh, this app store, right, where third-party software developers can build software uh, that serves merchants uh, that use Shopify's platform. And so uh, in that 2015 or 2016 letter, Toby Lukey said that, you know, since uh, the creation of Shopify's business, we have always believed in building long-term value for our partners and people within our ecosystem. And so they have not been trying to maximize short-term revenue gains. They see that, you know, if they can help deliver more and more value to the constituents within their entire ecosystem, the more valuable the entire ecosystem can be and the more valuable Shopify can be over the long run. Right, and that has been a, like a guiding principle for Shopify. And I think that is a, a rare thing to happen in the business world. I think maybe sometimes, you know, a lot of people can pay lip service to that kind of message. But when I looked at uh, the way Shopify has grown its business, especially like in terms of the number of merchants that have been on the platform and so on, um, and the amount of uh, gross merchandise value that has been facilitated through Shopify's platform, no, I think that it's very clear that merchants love uh, what Shopify is doing. Right, and they have uh, you know, really gravitated toward the platform. And when I look at that, I think you know, this is a company that really uh, believes in, in what it's saying, it's walking the talk. And I think a really, really good example of this uh, long-term vision and, and long-term patience toward building value, uh, it, uh, there's a great example uh, that really shines through and, and it happened sometime in June this year. So Shopify announced that you know, it will be completely removing a revenue share for uh, the first million dollars in revenue that third-party software developers earn on the Shopify App Store. And this uh, first million dollars in revenue is something that resets every year. Uh, so basically, every year, the first million dollars of revenue that a third-party software developer earns through the Shopify App Store belongs fully to uh, the third-party software developer. Right? And that's a move that could hurt Shopify's revenue in the short run. But I think the value that could potentially accrue to the merchants that are using Shopify services would be immense 
because this move really incentivizes software developers to come and build on the Shopify app store, right? And it really just encourages a lot more innovation, I think, going on there. And I think uh, the more innovative and useful software services that are being produced by these third-party software developers, the stronger the entire Shopify ecosystem becomes and the more valuable the, the company will be. And I think it's, it's not an easy move to make, right? You know, to want to cut off a part of your revenue source. Um, but I think this is uh, just another great example of why I think uh, Toby Luki is a very, just a, such a special business leader. Yes, and and I think to put it in context, right, um, this was 2015, right? And at that point in time, this idea is very revolutionary where you have an ecosystem and then you open up for third-party developers to come in to develop you know, in-house softwares that will then be sold to your same community to ensure that your in-house development capex is very, very low. You know, your OPEX is very, very low. You don't need to hire all these developers to build all these features. You have a third party to come in or you welcome all these other people to come in to build for your community. This is, mm-hmm. this is considered very revolutionary at that point in time. Now, uh, it's like every other software ecosystem has this. Okay, so we have to be very clear about this. But definitely, I, I, I get what you're saying. And they have taken a lot of very revolutionary moves in, in how they view uh, these kind of third-party software developers, you know, ecosystem, and definitely helps them to build a lot of features in a shorter period of time with lighter mm-hmm. fixed costs. But what about other people on their management? Do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think another really important member of Shopify's management team is the president of Shopify, a long-time president of Shopify. I think his name is either Harry or Harvey Finkelstein. I, I can't remember the person's, uh, uh, his first name. I hope I'm getting it correct. Um, okay, let's call him by his last name, Finkelstein. Um, he has been uh, with Shopify for many years. And uh, I think what's really funny though is uh, how he entered Shopify. So he was a customer of Shopify for a while. And for a long time, he was a massive pain for Shopify because he kept complaining about the service and kept offering <laughs> suggestions. I think to the extent where Toby Lukey was like, hey, you know what, let's just give uh, Finkelstein uh, Shopify for free so that you know he would stop bugging us and, and, and but it turns out that Finkelstein did not stop bugging uh, Shopify and, and he kept badgering the company and there came a point in time where Toby Lukey realized that hey you know um, I think I needed I need a more diverse set of leaders around me as well to help lead the company and then um, that was when he decided to bring on Finkelstein and he together with Toby Lukey have been um, instrumental I think in leading the growth of Shopify since uh, Finkelstein joined the company which I believe was sometime in 2010. I, think. I love how you hire his most annoying customer. <laughs> because because yeah, they yeah. want you to succeed, right? Because they really exactly, want the product exactly. and then they keep, yeah. keep disturbing you to want to make yeah. it better. So that yeah. is a very interesting way to yeah. look at it. <laughs> yeah, so I think Finkelstein has been a very important part of Shopify's uh, success. Yeah. Well, do you have any thoughts about their compensation structure? You know, because I mean, it's a tech company; it's it's growing yep. very fast. So sometimes comms can be a bit complicated. What What are your thoughts on their comms? So I think uh, Shopify has a really good compensation structure. So the company has no short term incentives. It pays its executives only a, a base salary, and long term incentives that come in the form of stock options or restricted stock units. So in twenty twenty. Toby Lukey's base salary was reduced from about $600,000 in 2019, right, to just $1. So Toby Lukey now belongs to like the $1 club, right? And his total compensation... The dollar club CEO. The, yeah, 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 the dollar <laughs> club CEO. Um, and so his only compensation came in the form of like long-term incentives. So 
So in his case, uh, they were stock options and they vest over a three-year period. So um, I like seeing companies give uh, either stock awards or stock options um, that vest over a number of years because I think that that multi-year vesting period helps align the incentives of a company's management team with uh, the company's other shareholders. So in, in Shopify's case, uh, that was what happened. So I think uh, it's a very well-designed compensation structure. So it's a, it's a company that really you know, pays a decent base salary. It's not very high, pays uh, to, its, to its managers, uh, but at the same time, you know, really tries to incentivize them toward long-term performance by these stock options and awards that vest uh, over multiple years. So you like this kind of vesting structure? Uh, yeah, I typically like seeing companies that pay their management teams over a multi-year period or based on performance, either business performance over a multi-year period or based upon the share price changes over a multi-year period. So, you know, when your options or your stock awards vest over multiple years, the, the monetary value of these options and awards are in the end tied to the changes in the company share price, right? Mm. And if this change in the company share price takes place over a few years, then it's very likely that the change in the company share price is then influenced by the business performance. Now, of course, if these uh, options or stock awards vest over, say, a one-month period, then I think that that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, but if it vests over just a long multi-year period, then I think that makes a lot of sense because the management's compensation is actually heavily linked to multi-year changes in the company's share price, which is then in turn linked to uh, multi-year changes in the company's uh, underlying business performance. And that is ultimately what I want to see, right? I want to see a management team that is paid based on the company's long-term business performance because that is how I think the incentive will be well aligned. And as a shareholder, ultimately what I want with the company is to see the business be able to do well over a long period of time. Good, good, fair, fair. And it's it's already very common in the tech space, you know, where more and more techies are being paid this kind of long-term four-year vesting period of options. Uh, but I also like it that more management are moving to this kind of structure, you know, where the management, the top nine management are also vested with uh, the shareholders. Actually, we're aligned mm -hmm. with our interests. So I think that's very good. But you know, Shopify is no longer a small company, right? So they're mm -hmm. already wrecking in billions and billions of dollars and they have gotten to a situation where even Amazon pulled out of the e-commerce business a few years ago. They already say they were not going to do the e-commerce solutions. You know, we're just... Man, you know, it's, and it's, a, right. it's a big win, right? It's a big win in the that's tech right. space. Yeah, where Amazon said, oh, we're not going to play this game. Man. That means Shopify already runs so far ahead. All right, so right. What, what is their future growth and how is their financials looking like? Sure. So I think um, in terms of the future growth, uh, one thing that I often like to look at companies is to look at like the total addressable market that a company has. Right. So I think um, in Shopify's case, the total addressable market is still huge. So uh, recall earlier, I mentioned that Shopify's trailing revenue uh, it's about $3.85 billion. So at the end of 2020, globally, there are about 68 million merchants with uh, less than 500 employees. So that is kind of like the Shopify sweet spot, right? Where it wants to target these um, smaller types of merchants and then hopefully grow along with it. And so 68 million merchants. And then in 2020, the average revenue per user uh, on the Shopify platform was about $2,300 US dollars. So when you multiply these two numbers together, you arrive at a total addressable market of more than 150 billion US dollars. Right? And then when you compare it to where Shopify is today, I think that just shows the tremendous room for growth. And I think there's another important dynamic that's related to the total addressable market of Shopify, and that would be the fact that I think the average revenue per user is likely going to increase over time because of 
the way Shopify can layer on more and more new services to users over time. Right, uh, as an example, in 2019, the average revenue per user on Shopify was about 1,600 US dollars. And in 2020, that's nearly $2,300. So significant jump in the average revenue per user. And I actually can see that increasing as well because e-commerce today on a global basis, right, the penetration rate is at best, I think, uh, in the mid-teens range. Right? So e-commerce as a whole has a lot of uh, room for growth. So that would also mean that the, the, the merchants uh, that are using Shopify services, not all of them will grow, but at least there's a strong tailwind backing many of these merchants that are on Shopify's platform. Right? And then the, that could potentially lead to an increase in the amount of services that they use on Shopify, as well as increase the amount of uh, gross merchandise value that flows through Shopify's platform. Right? And because the company also charges for some of its services based upon the amount of gross merchandise volume that flows through its platform, you know, that's a, a, just another way for Shopify to really increase its um, average revenue per user as well. Right? So I think when, when we look at like, the total addressable market, when we look at the global e-commerce penetration, and we look at where Shopify's revenue is currently today, I think it's just very clear that there's just tremendous, I think, uh, amounts of room for growth. And another important statistic, I think the total global e-commerce market uh, was about 3.9 trillion US dollars in 2020. So that's $3,900 billion. So, you know, when we look at like the projected total addressable market that Shopify thinks it can get and compare that to the global e-commerce market, we can see that the tick rate is actually a very sensible number that is somewhere in the low single digit percentage range. Right. So, you know, if, if Shopify thinks that its address, total addressable market is going to be like this massive double digit or, or 20, 30, 50% kind of tick rate, then I think that's not very sensible. But then when you compare like potential uh, total addressable market and you look at that as a tick rate of the overall e-commerce market, then I think, you know, the numbers still look very much sensible to me. And so to me, at least very clear that there's still a significant amount of room for Shopify to grow. And so, um, but just having the room for growth alone is not enough, right? Another important part of the equation is that the company must have a high probability of being able to take advantage of that growth, right? So when I studied Shopify's historical financials, I think that this is a company that's executed tremendously well. So just uh, for some perspective, uh, in 2012, Shopify's revenue was just below 24 million US dollars. And today, on a trailing basis, it's at 3.85 billion dollars. Right. And, and if you look at Shopify's revenue from 2012 to 2020, so the company ended 2020 with about $2.9 billion in revenue. So that's an annualized revenue growth rate of about 83%. So very strong growth. And I think also interestingly, when you track its take rate, that means revenue over GMV, right? Um, you can see that it has remained very much constant, somewhere between 24 to 2.6% over those number of years. And, and so I think you know, it just shows that uh, this is a company that has been able to provide a lot of value for its merchants and it's just growing simply because more and more merchants are just happy to come on board the Shopify platform. Yeah, so I think uh, this is a, a company that has executed really well and so I think chances of, of it being able to continue growing in the future, taking advantage of that big uh, total addressable market that it has, I think the chance is very high. And of course, uh, it also helps that Shopify has, I think, just this really, really good entrepreneur at his helm, uh, which is, of course, Toby Luki, I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, just the fact that he has this very, very staunch belief in building long-term value, I think that will be tremendously helpful in terms of Shopify's future growth. Yeah, it definitely helps that he's a snowboarder. 
But, but yes, that's just disturbing him, but he's, he's done a great job, okay? But yeah, can, can you help me expand a little bit on the idea of tick rate? Like, why is it important to keep it stable and consistent, like revenue divided by GM fee? Right, so I think, um, at least for now, keeping an eye on the tick rate is important because I think it also gives us a window into how Shopify is thinking when it comes to building long-term value. Right, so I think in the next few years at least, if I were to see Shopify's tick rate increase significantly, I would be a little bit worried. The increase needs to be happened for a good reason because I think that at this current stage, it makes tremendous sense for Shopify to just try to build as much value as it can for merchants that are using this platform and for all the other partners within its ecosystem. And if Shopify's tick rate is high, it means that the amount of value that it's providing to its merchants, all else being equal, is actually lower. Right, so I will want to see that tick rate kind of uh, being constant. And then another thing, of course, is that you know if the tick rate is currently low, the chances that it can increase in the future is definitely higher. Whereas if let's say the tick rate is already currently say twenty percent, then it's very hard, I think, to to envision a future where this tick rate can continue to increase. Right, and so the company's overall business growth then will have to rely nearly solely, I think, on uh, just winning more merchants to his business and to a much lesser extent in terms of layering on new services. But in this case, because the take rate is still so low, right, I think there is the potential for just two powerful tailwinds to help power the company's growth in the, uh, like in the long run in the future, which is an increase in the number of merchants that are using the service, as well as slowly increasing that uh, overall take rate, which can then lead to much higher revenue growth. Yeah, in other words, a lower tick rate means it's cheaper for enterprise to use their ecosystem, right? So if it becomes right. higher and higher, that becomes too expensive, then you know, uh, that's right. It, it, yeah, it slows down their acquisition. It reduces their value to to customers, which are enterprise trying to set up e-commerce shop, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, good. Okay, so but uh, you know, later about 2019, 2020, that period of time, you know, uh, Shopify was toying with setting up their own logistic network which is super mm-hmm. heavy, right? Because in a sense, all their business from the start till then was all very light, you know, very software, subscription, services, payments, capital. They were all very light businesses in terms of like asset-like businesses, right? There's no big cost that is ongoing, but they have decided to go into logistics, right? Doing the shop, doing drop shipping, doing this kind of logistical services to support their merchants. What are your thoughts on it? Are you concerned? I'm not adverse to uh, investing in businesses that are capital heavy. Um, the capital heaviness has to be for a good reason. And in the case of, I think, Shopify, I think it's uh, investing in logistics is a very natural and very smart move to make because if you want to be the central operating system for commerce activity for your customers, then uh, I think it's just very natural that you want to have a a solution that is as comprehensive as possible. And when it comes to e-commerce, a very important part of the entire e-commerce interaction between merchants and consumers would be that last mile fulfillment, right? Meaning to the point where the the consumer actually gets the product. So that is a very important point of interaction between the, the merchant and the consumer. And so I think in Shopify's case, if it really wants to be like this, the central operating system, then it will need to provide a really robust logistic solution as well. And there's also value in Shopify providing such a service. So currently, the Shopify fulfill- Fulfillment Network, which is the logistic service that it provides, is still relatively young. The company is still kind of figuring out how it wants to build it and so on. But one important thing that it's currently doing with Shopify Fulfillment Network is really try to aggregate a lot of these fragmented third-party uh, logistics services providers Right, and bring them all onto the Shopify platform. And so what happens is, you know, you have Shopify just kind of aggregating 
all of the logistics demand that its small merchants are looking for and then try to connect them with all these th fragmented third-party logistics services providers. And then so Shopify can then become a very valuable service provider for not just the merchants but also the uh, logistics services providers because it's just completely inefficient and not possible you know, for these uh, logistics services providers to knock on the doors of each you know, small merchant asking, hey, do you have a packet to ship today and so on, right? It's just not something that is uh, economically visible, right? And, and so, you know, by having Shopify be that connective layer, I think that can be um, tremendous economic value that can be unlocked for the logistics services um, providers. And so that's something that Shopify is investing in to build as well. Okay, great. I just want to clarify that that sounds like they are not planning to actually own the logistic network. They just want to build the layer of you know matchmaking platform for the last mile logistic provider and um, the merchants. Uh, is that the situation, or going forward they are planning to even you know bite into this last mile logistics to in house their own uh, logistic infrastructure? Uh, no, so I should clarify. So the being that connective layer is something that Shopify is working on, but at the same time, it's also trying to build its own in-house fulfillment capabilities. So it's mm. kind of um, moving on two ends together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They will build where they can, then where they cannot yet, they will direct to the third party, right? They'll pass to a yeah, third party that's right. to do it. That's right. Okay. But I would say that I think trying to be the connective layer, at least for now, um, be the easier path forward simply because like, you know, you have companies like Amazon, which is investing significantly higher amounts of capital, you know, just strengthening its own in-house logistics capabilities. And so I think that is going to be very difficult to compete against. But then when you are able to, you know, just kind of aggregate a swarm of these fragmented players together, then I think collectively they, they can be a force to be reckoned with as well. Yeah, so I think being this collector of um, uh, fragmentation, I think is uh, perhaps the easier way forward for, for Shopify. Great, great. Good clarification. Thank you. I want to also dig your brains a little bit into the payment network that they are building. And also the capital network that they're building. Because I think the base layer of subscription services, you know, all those software stuff, people understand. It's quite easy to understand as a business. But I do think some of their biggest growth engine will be in the merchant solutions uh, layer of things. And that is the part where payments come in. That's the part where capital comes in. And this two part, could you kind of expand for us a little bit? How, how does this business work? So payments is where Shopify basically helps merchants process payments when a consumer purchases a product, you know, uh, is Shopify there in the background helping to process this payment? And Shopify is actually working with Stripe, this uh, online payment processing company. So uh, Shopify has slapped its own logo and all that as well on top uh, of uh, <laughs> the, the solution that Stripe has built. Yes, white label. Yeah, yeah, kind of in a way. Yeah, and so effectively, what it's trying to do is to minimize the friction that consumers face in e-commerce, right? So Shopify claims that uh, Shopify uh, Checkout, which is part of that payment solution, is actually one of the fastest in the online space. And when it comes to making online payments, the smoother your overall experience is, the higher your conversion rate will be. And so that's one sort of like value add that Shopify provides to the merchants that are using this uh, Shopify payments. Right. And in terms of Shopify capital, uh, that is the service where Shopify distributes loans to merchants. So I think in many parts of the world, even in like uh, developed economies, uh, small, medium-sized businesses sometimes have difficulty accessing the capital markets. And by accessing the capital markets, I mean you know, sometimes they have difficulty obtaining uh, financing for their business needs. Sometimes they go to banks and banks are not willing to lend to them. 
Um, and this is where Shopify steps in, you know, because Shopify, um, especially for merchants that have been on this platform for a long time, it can, uh, it can have a very direct view, you know, of how well this merchant's business is doing. And it can then, you know, assess the risk of uh, lending money to this merchant in a, in a very smart manner. So this is where Shopify is again trying to provide a valuable service to some of its merchants. You know, it says that, hey, I see that your business has done very well over the past few months or past few years and seems that, you know, there's a very good sales window coming up. Let's say it's Christmas time, right? And, and this small merchant is like, you know, I have so much demand that I think I can fulfill, but I just don't have the working capital to purchase more inventory from my suppliers ahead of time. Uh, and then that's where Shopify can step in, right? It says, oh, you know, I can look at your numbers and I know that, you know, the business you have is the real deal. And I think that if you can find a financing partner, that would be very useful for your business. And so this is what Shopify Capital is trying to provide. Yeah, and, and, that, and that forms an amazing flywheel, right? If you think about it, right? The, the companies, they are not big enough to get financing. But because I am Shopify, you're using my platform. I know when your money comes in. I know how much you transact. I know all the data. So with all this exactly. data, I, have, I can build an algorithm to kind of evaluate the risk of you repaying. Right? Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, and, and then with that, I give you money because I'm confident enough within my algorithm to know that, okay, I can lend this person this amount of money. Whereas the bank does not have the information. They only see your balance right. sheets. That's right, right. right. And, that's right. And then you grow, the GMV becomes bigger. Oh, everybody happy. And then the cycle keeps yeah. growing, keeps growing, keeps growing. Right? Yeah. So, so the, more, the more GMV there is, the more revenue there is for Shopify payments, the more revenue there could be for Shopify, uh, the subscription solutions. You know, if the merchant becomes larger and graduates to yes. the more um, expensive uh, subscription packages, for example. Mm. So yeah, there's abso- you're absolutely right that there's this very strong potential for a positive flywheel to develop. Yeah, very, very wild, very crazy. When I first heard they are doing this, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, but also clarify these days, more and more people also doing it. You know? so yeah, that's right. Shopify, more and more companies are yeah, doing they always start this new random thing and then, you know, it, it proves they work. Then other people kind of copy yeah. and go along. So that's right. that is pretty, pretty cool. But I would say that I think Shopify does have an advantage in there in the sense that because they already are a vendor, a supplier that merchants are very familiar with, Right. Um, and so I think that there's just this natural, I think, kinship that merchants may have with the company that would perhaps make it easier for merchants to want to rely on Shopify for financing rather than uh, third party providers. But of course, you know, if uh, somebody comes along and says that I can provide you financing at much more attractive terms than what Shopify can, then, you know, I guess it's natural that merchants will want to uh, move elsewhere. Uh, but if that if something like that happens, then I, I don't think it's beyond the ability of Shopify to be able to react and counter such moves. Of course, of course, yeah. So that's the cool stuff. Okay, so what are some of the... I mean, we talk about all these different products, features, the team, the finances of the company and all that. Can, can we kind of uh, come together to talk about some of the modes of this company? So I think the strongest competitive advantage that Shopify has would actually be Toby Lutke. He has a very unique point of view about the world, right? There was this really good essay uh, written a few months ago or maybe a year ago or something. I can't remember. Um, but, and I uh, sadly can't remember the author. But the essay was fascinating in the sense that it talked about, uh, it, it drew an analogy in Toby Lutke's business strategy with uh, the game StarCraft. Are you familiar with StarCraft? Uh, no, I won't say I'm familiar, but I know got three races. They fight. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, know I think it's Protoss, Protoss, Terran, and Zerg. So it's 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 what they call like a real time strategy game, right? So yes, where yes. you choose, you pick a race, and then 
each game starts off as you just having a few small units and you're supposed to build like uh, different types of um, structures and different types of units and yes. go on to but attack. I, yeah. Yes, but I have to say StarCraft is an amazing game in a sense that the three different classes of characters are very, very different. It's not like other yes. games where it's like a different skin, you know, but the features are similar. No, this is like three different classes that are very different and the power balancing is done very well. Although I don't play yeah. it, sometimes I watch it. So I thought, wow, this is quite cool, huh, this game, yes. Yeah, so, so Toby Luki is actually a very avid StarCraft gamer. I think I have even read somewhere that he has hired somebody purely based on the person's ability in the StarCraft game. Right? So he hired a StarCraft gamer and, <laughs> and, and the favorite race uh, that Toby Luki likes in StarCraft is Zerk. Right? And, and, and Zerk is a very unique race in StarCraft because early on, uh, it's quite weak. The individual units in the Zerk race is, is, is just weak. Right, but what happens is, you know, over time, if you are able to fend off your opponent's attacks in the early game, and you do this thing called the Zerg creep, which is where you swarm the map with a lot of small units, then in the late game, the Zerg race is effectively unstoppable. Right, yes. and so the, this author kind of drew this analogy and looked at what Shopify is trying to do, and and basically analogizes it to the idea that Toby Loki is trying to build this Zerg creep in the real world. Right, it's trying to really arm all kinds of small merchants, all kinds of small businesses, give them, empower them with the tools to succeed, and then uh, you know go on to attack the the world of e-commerce. And and I, I find that to be a very fascinating window into how I think uh, Toby Luki thinks about uh, the world of business. You know, I, I I can't say for sure if that is exactly what he uh is Toby Luki is thinking about, but I think the author makes very compelling arguments, and I kind of agree very much with what the author is saying. Um, and in fact, I think, you know, if you look at some of the moves that uh, Toby Luki has made, like when Shopify made the announcement that it was going to remove all revenue share for third-party software developers on the uh, Shopify app store for the first million dollars in revenue, Toby Luki actually sent out a tweet, right? He made a tweet that says that your bracket increased margin is our opportunity. And this is actually a wordplay on a famous quote from Jeff Bezos, which is, your margin is my opportunity, right? And... and, and <laughs> And I think that is fascinating because um, I think it shows, you know, just the belief that Toby Luki has in that, you know, if I empower all these small little so-called Zerg units, over time, you know, I can do this Zerg creep and, and just go on to, to dominate the world, right? And I, th I just think that it's just a fascinating kind of uh, business strategy. And so I think that, that, you know, just having Toby Luki at the helm of Shopify is it's just the biggest competitive uh, advantage that a company has because... Uh, with him at the helm, he's setting the tone for the company, setting the culture. And what happens is then it flows down and, and employees in Shopify are just you know, constantly thinking about what, how can we build long-term value for the company by empowering our partners, by empowering our merchants and so on. And I think you know, that is a North Star that is very hard to replicate, right? I mean, like if I were the one running uh, Shopify and I had the opportunity to remove revenue share for the App Store, would I really do it? I might not, right? Because it also goes directly against the very human nature of greed, right? You know, it's just a very uh, normal and human thing to uh, make as much money as we can. Uh, but in the case of Shopify, you know, it's really, it's very capable of being able to delay that kind of gratification over the short run. And I think that that just comes uh, from Tobi Luki. And, um, you know, having read uh, uh, interviews by him and so on, I, I just think that he's just a very unique polymathic thinker as well about the world. 
that uh, that helps also to create like you know this very strong culture I think within the company. So I you know when people often talk about workplace culture, they have this idea that it's something that is like static, right? And they're like core values they believe in and so on. But in Toby Lukey's case, he has a firm belief that culture is actually something that is uh, evolving all the time. Mm. And what is important is to make sure that you don't you do not disrupt the evolutionary process. Right. Of course, you, you need to keep an eye to make sure that the evolution is happening in the right direction. But if it's evolving, then it's important to not break that. You know, that is just something that I think is, again, unique. You know, I, I seldom uh, come across business leaders who think about a company's culture in, in, in this way. And of course, when you look at the kind of success that Shopify has in, in the business, you know, just that tremendous revenue growth. And in recent years, uh, just this explosion in free cash flow as well. A lot of the unique things that Toby Loki is trying to implement within Shopify is working out. Yeah. So I think he is like the most important competitive advantage for the company. I understand that the answer may be a bit of like a cop-out, right? You know, when we talk about competitive advantages, people often think about things like intellectual property. They think about uh, being a lowest cost producer, right? But I, I think it's also important for investors to realize that all of these competitive advantages that you see, actually come from the company's management's past actions. And it's the past actions that have led to the current competitive advantages that you see. So I actually see that ultimately a company's competitive advantage would be the management team. And, and that is why I think in the case of Shopify, you know, I'm very adamant that the real competitive advantage that Shopify has is Toby Luki. Fair, fair. I think, I think I already see a pattern after doing this with you a few times. You're always very big on the management. And, and I think it's important, right? Because some of the best leaders will lead a company through all sorts of weird times. Right? So I think, I think that, is, that is a very fundamental, important part. And by recognizing that things are fluid, you know that you cannot just rely on whatever there is currently, current advantage that you have. Right, but whereas a good team can kind of keep meandering around and finally uh, get it to wherever they want to go. And of course, uh, specifically for Shopify, it sounds like they want to take on Amazon. So you need some crazy guy to take on Amazon. <laughs> it's not so simple. That's uh, yeah. right, that's right. Cool, cool. Okay, so um, I think I think we all can agree that they are riding on tailwinds. You know, it's going to the future. So more and more e-commerce, digital interfaces, and and all that stuff, right? More reach, more accessibility. So those things, I don't think we really need to expand. But what are some of the risk factors in closing, right? For for this company, because we cannot like well, everything like very positive, right? So course, what are some course. of the risk factors? Yes. Yeah, so I think the biggest risk factor for Shopify would actually be uh, key man risk. And key man risk essentially means uh, the, the risk that the business's growth could be harmed if a few or one individual leaves uh, the company. And in this case, you know, I think if either Kobe Loki or Harry Finkelstein leaves the company, then um, I think that is potentially very detrimental to Shopify's future growth because the company could lose the North Star, could lose its North Star, right? In terms of, uh, you know, having that uh, long-term goal of empowering merchants, building value for partners and so on, right? And then if you lose that, that kind of a leader at the helm, then the North Star could potentially disappear. And, and I think that could be dangerous for the company. So that's my biggest risk. Um, there are a few others. I mean, uh, there's also like the risk of competition. So, uh, you know, like Shopify is providing a software solution and other types of digital services to help merchants conduct businesses online. And there is no shortage of competition, right? I mean, there's always the chance <laughs> that somebody will come up with a better mousetrap. So I think there's that. And of course, you know, I think you rightly pointed out that uh, Shopify sees Amazon as one of its biggest targets, right? Uh, but Amazon is itself a very formidable uh, company. 
Uh, and in Jeff Bezos and of course now Andy Jesse, uh, it has incredible leaders at the helm as well. And of course, uh, full disclosure, my fund also owns shares in Amazon. It's also one of the larger positions that I have within the uh, portfolio. Yeah, I, I like both companies a lot, but you can never really fully write off uh, Amazon, especially when, when it's quite clear that Shopify wants to compete against uh, Amazon's uh, aggregation efforts. Another important risk, I think, is uh, dilution. So Shopify has over time... Uh, been shown to have been issuing shares quite a bit. So just for some perspective, uh, let me just pull out the numbers very quickly. So let's say in 2016, I think that's when, or 2015, when I, when Shopify uh, IPO, its share count has actually nearly doubled from then to 2020. So that is like kind of like a mid-teens rate of annual increase in the share count. So that is very high. But the good thing is that when I look at Shopify's revenue growth, uh, it has significantly outweighed the growth in the share count, meaning that on a per share basis, I think the company is still building value at a significant rate. Uh, but ideally, I wouldn't like businesses that have such high dilution. So that's another risk that I'm looking at. Another important one would be, of course, the valuation. Shopify is not a cheap share. Yeah, so, yeah, so I think Shopify is today trading at about maybe 60 times trailing revenue. So that is a very high uh, multiple. So even if, let's say, I assume that you know, Shopify has a free cash flow margin of, say, 30% today, you know, that 60 times uh, revenue number will equate to maybe about 190 times uh, free cash flow, which is super high. And, and that is, of course, a risk when you pay very high valuations for companies. And if the company does not deliver, then you're in for a painful ride as a, as a shareholder. Uh, yep. But in this case, uh, you know, I'm just happy to pay up because I think that Shopify is just a very unique and world-class business uh, that likely has significant room for growth ahead. Right, you know, you can probably compound its top line anywhere from thirty to fifty percent easily. I think over the next five to seven years. So because of that, you know, I I I see the high valuation as a risk, but not something that would cause me to just completely stay out. You know, so to recap, I talked about human risk. I talked about uh, dilution risk. I talked about competition, and I talked about valuation. So I think these are the important risks that I see with uh, Shopify's business. Cool, good to know. And anyway, I just want to say that. I am very okay with a company that is at a very high valuation to dilute its shareholders. Okay, I know it's 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 a it's a very long discussion, and we probably should organize a, a like a few people kind of online discussion on like how do you evaluate like growth companies, right? Because uh-huh. at that stage, they're land grabbing, they're innovating, they need a lot That's of capital, right. and you want them to keep growing. So as long as the top line is running, like you know. The top line running two x higher than dilution, then you know that it, it, it may be a good move, right? So that's yeah, a whole no, different I, discussion. I, I I completely agree with you, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole different discussion. We'll do it at another time. I think a lot of people are very interested in how to evaluate growth companies. It's very different from all the value, you know, metrics and all those things that that is that, that's being talked about. Out I, there. I I I think I think uh, we definitely should have that discussion because I actually mm. I actually don't see that there's a big difference in how you evaluate growth companies versus like, you know, what people traditionally learn about investing. Yeah, so I actually don't see big differences there. The biggest difference, I think, is just having that uh, imagination of being able to think about how big a company could become. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, of course, I mean, um, that is a discussion for, for another day. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely keen to have that. <laughs> Great. Okay, so I got one man in. So yep, we yep. will organize something like that uh, sometime yeah, sure. down the road. Lah. Okay, thank you, bro. See ya. I hope you guys enjoy good stuff. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. I appreciate it. 
Hey Coconut, so I hope you learned something useful today and definitely recognize that investing is a personal decision. We're not giving you any recommendations here, but I'm always happy to geek out with you about different interesting companies and trends for the future. This series has a lot more depth and terms, so if you have any questions for us, do join our community telegram group or DM us on our socials. Link is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. And to stay tuned with what is happening in the markets and in the TFC network, do sign up for our weekly newsletter at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, I hope you have a great day ahead and may you improve to become a confident, insightful and disciplined investor, ultimately creating the life you love while managing your finances well. See ya next week.